The following podcast is presented by Together Washington. Together Washington, we are seeking to build bridges across divides and tell the inspiring stories of those building the common good. If you'd like to support or get involved with Together Washington, go to togetherwashington.com. a great program for you today really excited to be joined here in studio with boris borisov boris is a longtime leader in spokane we're also going to hear boris's story which is going to be great he's uh he is a, a proud you're a proud russian yes uh half russian half ukrainian but pretty much the same thing you know come from uh that side of the world and uh but been here most of my life so thanks for having me tim excited to be here yeah well you you got the co-hosting duties of the day and uh, which is going to be a lot of fun so we're gonna we're gonna get into a to your story and, and what's happening in spokane and and also we'll get into uh together washington you are uh, now the the new coo of together yes. washington this is a big this is a big moment yes it's a big moment so we'll we'll get into some of that i'm really excited to hear from boris and hear his story i think there's some interesting developments and things a part of your background in your life regarding you know coming to america yep. and your family coming to america and maybe perhaps what they left in you know russia and what we're seeing today, I'm, I'm just curious. I'm going to be really curious to ask you those questions. And I think, folks, you're going to be interested in just getting this perspective of, um, you know, where where are we headed here in our culture, in our society today in America? I wanted to, you know, take some time to have our listeners just get your perspective on, you know, your your family, your background, I mean, coming from, you know, immigrating from Russia. Uh, coming to, you know, Spokane and, and what brought you, you know, the, the experiences that like your parents, your grandparents mm-hmm. had, you know, in Russia, why they came here, you know, why they came to America, what they're, what are you, what are you experiencing now? So I just love to kind of unpack that. Sure. If yeah. you're, if you're good with that. Let's do it. All right. So yeah, my uh, parents came to the United States and I came with them, but you know, at, as a five-year-old, I didn't have much choice, so they immigrated. I just kind of joined them for the ride. Uh, but they came from Ukraine, which was part of the Soviet Union, and then when it fell apart in, in 1990, it became an uh, in- independent state. But you know, my parents and the stories that I hear from them and grandparents, and I've been back a few times to to visit family and such, you know, the situation over there was the the country. I mean, for those of you who are here from, you know, the United States, uh, the Cold War and the height of that. And then once the Soviet Union collapsed, there was this huge rush to get out of the country uh, for a variety of reasons. It's not really great to, to be in a place that just sort of collapses, uh, especially when your government has been spending all of its money on um, arms and such things and no other uh, s- sources of revenue or economic development was happening. And so everybody, of course, left uh, every opportunity they could. Uh, specifically with my family, we were called you know, religious refugees, which was a, a status, an official status you could claim to get out of the country. Uh, mostly Protestant-type faith groups that were not part of the Orthodox Church that experienced historical persecution were able to claim that status and then leave. And so my parents were able to do that in 1990 and come straight from 
uh, Ukraine, uh, former Soviet state, all the way to the United States. Um, but what, what type of persecution was did they experience? Uh, well, the persecution range depends when, right? From all the way from from the 1917 revolution all the way through, you know, the fall of the Soviet Union. So uh, early on, you know, officially when communist Russia or former Soviet Union was anti-religion specifically the persecution could range from being imprisoned for the faith for you know propaganda if you uh, distributed literature of faith like bibles or commentaries or such things um so the stories i heard from my grandparents uh you know the church experience faith experience they had growing up was they were always underground always meeting like in the woods for church services because you weren't allowed to officially meet then later some of that stuff was lifted where you were allowed to organize and meet but you know in the age of my parents so this is like 60s 70s you know you were able to meet but if you were under 18 you couldn't do certain things like get baptized you had to register with the government all of your uh, members and such you'd have kgb agents um, kind of coming in and infiltrating the services so there was limitations on what you could express uh, other things would include um, if you did not denounce your specific uh, version of faith uh, because it didn't match with state propaganda, you weren't allowed to go to higher education on the, as an example. So a good one would be my mom who uh, told me the story of how she had great grades in high school, but upon her um, examination to get into college, there was a board, like an examination board that basically said, hey, Greg, you have great grades, but... Uh, if you don't denounce your particular expression of faith, you, you can't go. Wow. Uh, and so the decision, of course, was to, well, then I'm not going to college, right? So right. things like that. My goodness um, sakes. You know, just uh, sort of a derogatory view of specifically Protestant groups in the former Soviet states. Um, and, and not just Protestant, you know, Orthodox also experienced some of that. But long story short, if you experienced that historically and could prove it, um, you could get this religion, uh, religious uh, refugee status and then exit the country. And that's what they did. Um, that was 1991. Um, and that was a straight shot from Ukraine all the way to the U.S. But before that, a couple of years, like 88, 89, a lot of folks were actually leaving and there was no direct way out of Russia. So what they would do instead is they would get visas to go to Israel but on the way to Israel, because the Russian government, for some reason at that point, was issuing those, you'd stop in Vienna or Italy, go to the American consulate, redo your passport or your visa, and head to the U.S. Oh, really? Yeah. So there was a, a big summit in 1990. I think it's Gorbachev and George H.W. Bush where they realized that people were abusing that system and they paved the path forward for direct migration from former states, uh, Soviet states, to the United States. So there was this... Weird time where I have friends in Spokane who took that earlier route, redid their documents. Sort of it was a, a riskier proposition because uh, you had no guarantees. Mm -hmm. And then there was a story of a few folks. I think they were called like the Siberian Six or 12, I forget. They stormed the U.S. Embassy and demanded uh, that a direct path was forged. And so uh, yeah, it was an interesting time in history. Uh, again, as you can imagine. So they, they came here for religious freedom to the United States. But for many, it was also uh, married with economic determination. People wanted to start their own businesses. They wanted to have like a say in the type of life they had uh, as everything was owned by the state and the means of production was owned by the state. And so that was probably a, a, a secondary issue that later evolved to be a primary issue, if, if you can imagine. If you look at the geographical movements of people, 
um, you know, historians will tell you the number one reason people move is for economics. Mm. And I think that is true, even though uh, religious refugee status was the way to get out. A lot of folks were getting out for the economic benefits and, and opportunities that awaited them. Mm. Was the U.S. one of the primary places yeah. folks would be going? Yep. Yeah. And so you came... Did you come right to Spokane, or where, where did your family go first? Yeah, we came directly to Spokane. Uh, World Relief at that time, they were actually resettling the main resettlement agency for uh, immigrants from Slavic countries. And so in Spokane specifically, actually, that was a second migration. Most people went to smaller eastern Washington cities like Walla Walla and Ritzville. But then Spokane was discovered by a, a few leaders who were visiting, and they found out a few things. Number one, housing was incredibly cheap. Mm-hmm. I mean, we was. bought our first was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you talk about housing and the word cheap, that you have to use past tense yeah. in, in all of its formats nowadays, unfortunately. But yeah, so w- for example, we bought a house as a family, $29,000 in 1993 oh or gosh. something like that. Jeez. I mean, f- frankly, it was a one bedroom, one bathroom, but you know, all the Slavs have their construction chops. So they, <laughs> they tore those suckers apart, made them into three bedrooms and, and, and improved the property value. So housing was huge. They also found that, you know, the four seasons was very similar to home. So that was the second pull factor. And the third uh, pull factor was the establishment of a Russian speaking church and the community that that created around it, right? Mm-hmm. So here you are in a new country. I think World Relief was saying at that time in the 1990s into Spokane, there are about two to 3,000 families per year coming, plus you know their children. So it's a huge uh, population. Yeah, but, wow. but the fact that you had a, a faith community established with Russian-speaking church services, all the activities that go with that weekly, either prayer meetings or choir practices or other things, it created kind of a magnet because where else would you go? You have this center of faith place and— you can go hang out with your people who speak your language, who are in the same stage, learning English, starting a business, trying to figure stuff out. If you're going to go to a new country and figure stuff out, it's better to do it with a group of people like you mm-hmm. uh, than alone. Right. And so sort of those three factors, housing, uh, church, and the weather, uh, surprisingly enough, were the three main reasons why uh, Spokane saw this huge um, just uh, attraction. All, all other cities as well, like Sacramento. Um, has a huge population. Seattle has some as well. Yeah. So, so you came in 1990, 91. Yep, 91. Right in that time frame. Okay. And you were just about, what, five or so? Yeah, I was five. Okay. Yeah. So some of those memories are, Do you, I mean, do you have memories of, of that time or? I actually do, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have memories uh, all the way, I think, preschool, kindergarten. So, yeah, and I remember even growing up first, second, third grade, just that first phase of being here mm-hmm. and what that was like. So, What were your parents, and did your grandparents come? My grandparents, yeah, they trailblazed, so they came first. Okay. And then they uh, you know, did a call out to the kids, like, hey, come. So then, you know, I think it was my aunt, uncle, then my parents, obviously, uh, I went with them. So, yeah, but my grandparents also came. Yeah. So what, was the, what were some of the initial reactions? Because obviously— you you have an, this concept or an idea of what it might be like, right? And right. then you get there and you kind of settle in. You're like, okay, it didn't necessarily meet exactly all my expectations. But what were what were the thoughts when your family first got here? 
Yeah, it's interesting because I, I think World Relief publishes something like the the process of integration and immigration and things like that. There's like this honeymoon phase where you're just like, wow, look at all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> the houses are so cool. The jobs are good. You know, all this kind of stuff. And then it's uh, like looking at a at a billboard of like a Big Mac and you're like, gosh, that Big Mac looks good. Yeah. And then you get there and you're like, well, oh. the, the Big Mac in Russia is better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> McDonald's like gourmet meal. But uh, yeah, the, the joke in Spokane for a while amongst the Slavic community, Spokane, you know, has, I think a tax base is about half of what Tacoma is. It's just for reference. Yet yeah, we're about the same size. So one of the things that really suffer in Spokane are the roads are not as well, you know, maintained. Plus we have the four seasons and the snow melt. So the, Russians came over from a place with no services, and the joke was always, man, when we immigrated to Spokane, it was just like heaven on earth. You you walk into the stores, and oh my gosh, the stores, the shelves are full of food, and man, the houses, you just go in the house, and you know the roofs don't have holes, and it's just watertight, and the jobs, and they, they pay so well. It's just so awesome, and then you get to the roads, and well, the roads remind us of home, you know. <laughs> that, was the, that was the knock on Spokane uh, for a while, but yeah, so the initial reaction was like, oh, this is great uh, because uh, it was affordable to live. This was pre-1996, if you remember, the welfare, uh, uh, the welfare Reform Act that Bill Clinton did. Um, you could actually stay on a lot of the funding, public funding, as you kind of figured out life for a long time. So it, it created an incentive to like take your time and go to ESL as a second language and learn it. And then in 96, that changed to like there was a limited time frame. And so that changed the perception real fast because you had to get in, get a job right away while you're learning the language. I think it got really tough later on. So the first reaction was, this is great. But then you, you, you sort of learn the cultural differences, right, where maybe in the Slavic culture it's much more communal where you hang out with your cousins like every night of the week. Um, you kind of do more stuff together from a community perspective because you had nothing else to do. Um, and then you, you run into what the, the model here is different. Life's a little different, faster pace. You got bills. You know, the idea of credit card debt or a mortgage was very new for a lot of people that never had such a thing in life. And so this idea always kind of shown through like, oh, we're kind of enslaved to this system of like paying bills every month and it goes by real fast. But then others got real used to it, built successful businesses um, and, and, you know, persevered and prevailed. So I think there was some negative, uh, but mostly positive. Mm. Um, the One of the funny stories I remember is one of my grandfather on my mother's side, like the first week he moved and he moved a little later, I think like in 97 or 98. And he comes from this little farm village in, in Ukraine. And, you know, he, he rents this residential house. And the first thing he does is tear out the entire lawn and plant a garden because he, he was just shocked that people would waste land growing grass it's like why wouldn't you grow food this is you, you people are crazy and then and then like week two he gets like a goat and a cow and some chickens on his property it's zoned residential and you know of course the cops are called and, and such and, and so he calls me and he's like boris these people are crazy they're calling the cops on me for having livestock i'm like grandpa you're in residential zone <laughs> you can't have a cow <laughs> in the middle of so there's sort of cultural differences like that uh, but at the same time, there is incredible stories like we have some you know, grocery stores that are um, sort of Eastern European with a lot of the foods. And, and the first generation of immigrants had those types of businesses, lots of construction businesses, 
because um, they were good with their hands. That's what they knew. So they would start, you know, construction companies around framing and tile work. And, you know, my dad does cabinets. He's been doing that his whole life. Um, and then you see the second generation, people like my age, you know, they're starting other businesses, whether that be, you know, bakeries or, or coffee shops or consulting firms. So you're kind of seeing that second generation mm-hmm. immigration. Uh, and I'm not really sure, Tim, if I'm even answering your question. I'm just rattling on. That was great. I love it. Yeah, it it, it, it was. Um, I think what made it really possible to integrate was the fact that there was a, a good um, uh, density or, or nucleus of people immigrating at the same time, which allowed people to still re- retain who they were while getting used to the new culture. Yeah, and so that was a strength. I love hearing just the the journey and the stories along the way, and it's just so fascinating. And I mean, Boris, I'm I'm wondering what are you know your your family and others who experienced you know America in '91 when you came here and what you found. And obviously, there's been a lot of turmoil yeah. right, in in the U.S., particularly the last couple of years. It's just been this and. and as a, as a side note, you know, Boris is uh, the new CEO of Together Washington, which is helping to build bridges across divides. But and, and that's partly because we're seeing uh, what what we talk about is the, the social fabric disintegrating. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm curious, you know, from your perspective, because you've got a very unique perspective, right, of yeah. and your family does of leaving the former Soviet Union, coming here to the U.S. and. And then what we're experiencing now in America today, I guess, what are your thoughts on that? And and maybe what are some of your other fellow, um, you know, countrymen, so to speak, if that's the right way of saying it? Right. Or would that be the right way of saying it? Yeah. I don't know. It would? Okay. <laughs> countrymen, <laughs> colleagues, Comra- friends. Comrades? Comrades. <laughs> Is that- <laughs> Business partners. Yeah. We'll use a Western term for it now. Yeah. <laughs> So what? Yeah, what? What do I think? Yeah, it's definitely different. What I've noticed, uh, I guess I'll start with what I've seen in our community. Uh, so you know, ten percent of the population in Spokane County is about Slavic people. So lots, for the most part, um, they're the type of people that kind of have stayed away from politics or engagement. They just really appreciated sort of the the freedom that they got. A lot of them were into business and. You know, as long as you don't touch me, I'm just going to live my life over here. That That's what they couldn't do in the old country, uh, where a lot of the, you know, whether it be how you ran your business, how you arranged your life, all that stuff was interfered with. So I I think for the most part, they stayed quiet and, and minded their own business and affairs and have really loved it. But I have seen, specifically in the last four to five years, uh, sort of this ignition, if you will, they're getting more involved because they're they're saying, hey, there's just more stuff that I have to deal with, it seems like. And, you know, uh, part of it is they haven't had engagement in the past, which is why they're in, misinformed in some areas, but also because there's more of, like, uh, requirements, whether it be government or taxes, that they're noticing, right? And so they became more involved. And, and so they're they're seeing that balance of, like, what is sort of like the personal liberty slash government in your life balance look like? And the, the, the sense is that is getting more out of whack. And therefore now they're rising up and saying, well, we want to participate in the process. So uh, it's, it's kind of ironic. So they didn't participate in the process because they felt that balance was decent. It was fine. 
and Spokane having a very low cost of living. But now that that balance seems to go the other way, where they're saying you pinch, whether it's you know more taxes or more requirements or more regulation, where they want to get involved. And on the one hand, they're excited that they can get involved. The fact that they can have a political voice. I mean, I haven't seen so many you know older men and women vote in my life, and the you know I'll get calls and people want to know what's the process, how do I register, which is kind of exciting. But I'm like going. Hey, you're like 70. I've never heard you care about these issues before. What, what What's up? Well, you know, and, and whatever their opinion is, uh, whether I agree with it or not, the fact that they're getting involved is pretty exciting. So I, we've seen that trend uh, emerge. Um, yeah, and, and I think part of it is um, a lot of the population that I came with, the immigrant population, they're very, uh, you know, driven to, to just kind of have personal freedom and liberty and uh, sort of merit-based approach to life and advancement in life. Um, And so recently what's been happening uh, with a lot of stuff in our country, it seems like they're more concerned that the America that they knew is is not the same kind of country. And and, uh, so I, I think it's important to get them more involved at both the local level and the state level and the national level. Um, and we'll see how, what happens. I'm hopeful that their involvement will add a, a perspective to the conversation and add to the fabric of the community, as yeah. we discussed. But it's interesting you say that because I have I have certainly heard from other you know friends of mine who have come here from other you know countries and immigrated who came to America with, of course, America's the this you know beacon, right? right? This beacon on a hill, so to speak, right? City on a hill, and. And I'm I'm hearing from numerous friends of just great concern about mm. you know direction about liberty and f- people who have left um, authoritarian regimes or countries and you know came here and are now like man what I'm seeing coming down the pike in America now is is what I experienced in 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 my home country and I wanted to get away from that. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that something that y- you've you hear or see a little bit of or no? Yeah, we definitely hear some of that. Um, and some of it has merit. Some of it is just, hey, I don't think you're as involved as you should be. Um, so it's a lot about conversation and, and education and also hearing their concerns. Because it is true uh, that for many, like as one example, uh, <laughs> I've heard many times, well, what's the point of even like owning owning your own property and things like that if the taxes get so high that you're pretty much paying your mortgage anyway on it? You don't truly own it. So there's been some of that conversation. Um, also, uh, they view um, uh, liberty as like, look, if you can make it, you can make it. And if you know, that's okay too. Uh, and they're fearful that uh, if you just give everything over to government control, then that might create sort of, you could say equality in some sense, but it also diminishes your ability to get ahead if you really work hard. Um, and so there is some of that concern, you know, like one of uh, the folks that I was talking to recently said that it does feel like that heavy handed, especially with what's been going on with COVID and the re- restrictions and requirements and things like that. One individual leader in the community told me that when he came to America in the 90s, it felt like compared to the old country that uh, he came to a place and it was like vacation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's like, and in the last two years, it feels like the vacation is coming to an end. <laughs> oh man! 
And, um, and so that was been an interesting uh, conversation that I've had with numerous leaders um, just around Spokane and things like that. At the same time, I want to encourage them. I said, what you have here in this country still that you did not have then is if back then you disagreed, it, too bad. <laughs> Good luck. Here, if you disagree, at least right now, you still have a place for public discourse. Yeah, You can still go out there. And, you know, I've told some leaders, like, run for city council. I mean, if it's 10% of the population in the in the county, some representation needs to be had. Um, and so don't waste this opportunity to get involved. In, and, in fact, it was really interesting. I got a, uh, a text message from a friend who had never voted and it was just, a, you know, the election this past uh, few weeks ago uh, in, in my city, it wasn't anything grand. It was a couple of school boards and some smaller local things. And uh, they said, hey, you know, what do you think about this issue or that issue? And we talked on the phone for a while. And I said, you know, why are you asking? I, 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 in fact, I didn't think you voted. And he said, well, you know, I'm tired of just complaining. I think that if, if I'm going to complain about something, I might as well get involved in the process. So I think that's sort of the kernel of hope still with our population is yeah, you might not like what's going on, but you still have the opportunity to get involved and shape it to some degree. And that's sort of where the Slavic community, at least in my city, that's where they're heading right now is let's mm. get involved. Yeah, that's cool. I love yeah. that. And you mentioned, you know, it, back in, in, in the home country, you couldn't really disagree. Right. It is Now, you know, I what I know, I've never been to Russia or Ukraine, but you know, I've watched movies and it is, is that <laughs> very accurate? <laughs> well, that's my question though. I'm, I'm, yeah. I was being facetious about that, but my question is, is there, you know, the, the, the movies, right. It's like, Oh, KGB mm. and, and you know, just that whole kind of vibe. Right. I mean, yeah. is there any, I mean, what's your take on the Americanized movie version of Russia? <laughs> yeah, I think <laughs> it, it's definitely a caricature. Yeah, it's definitely a stereotype, you know, Boris from 007 GoldenEye. I'm invincible kind of guy. Right. Right. It's Russians are just these computer hackers that just uh, destroy democracies around the world. And and for sure, there's a difference between the Russian government, though, and, and the people. And I think every government at some level is involved in some sort of espionage or whatever. But I think if you look at the average Russian, you know, they're hardworking, simple, hospitable people. Um, that really love to just hang out, just kick it. You know, yeah. like in, in Russia, the culture there is, you know, around New Year's and, and, and the holidays, good luck. Everybody's off for six weeks, you know. Seriously? <laughs> yeah, celebrating. Jeez. Um, nice. There's this sense of, you know, there's more to life than just work is what I would characterize mm -hmm. the Russian people. Uh, we don't have to have the best, you know, car and roads and house, but we want to hang out and socialize and, and kind of spend some time living. Yeah. Part of that is because when you live in a place where you, you lack a lot of basic stuff, like that's the thing you resort to. But I think as an immigrant, having lived in the West and seeing the, uh, you know, the beautiful blessings we have here, the ability to get ahead, try hard, if you're able and, and you can go for it, go for it. And you marry that with some of these sort of, hey, elements of my culture of, yeah, let's just also not take ourselves too seriously and not work for the sake of work, but work to then enjoy life. Uh, I found that to be an incredible guide and in, in the, in the ability to marry both worlds, West and East, the good from both into this, you know, mosaic of, of an approach to life has been really fun for me. And I count it as a blessing that I can, you know, do that in this country. Yeah, that's very cool. Do you have a favorite movie that focuses on, you know, Russia that you're like, oh, I love this one or... 
You know, not, not really. so not so much. There is a recent one, and I can't remember you know the name of it. But on on YouTube, uh, there is this channel I found where it's I think it's called the longest train ride in the world, and it's this European tourist that takes the train from like Moscow to like Siberia. Mm-hmm. It's the longest train ride in the world. And uh, I'm more of like a you know millennial YouTube channels and and stuff like that is more what I tune into. But just watching that train ride gives you a really good glimpse of like all these stations and how people actually are. And it's done by a YouTube creator, so it, it doesn't have any like flair or an agenda behind it. It's just yeah. literal documentation yeah. of of what the country looks like. So and he's probably a billionaire now too. Probably, right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Boris, you you know you came to. You and your family came to Spokane, and now you've been you've been serving as a uh, Spokane community leader uh, in a number of ways over the last, you know, goodness sakes, I mean, fifteen years or so, fourteen years, and served as a uh, community, a city planner at the yep. city of Spokane. You've planted a church in Spokane. You, now you're uh, you're also serving CEO of Together Washington. You've got all these experiences. My goodness, I mean, what is why? Why have you done what you've done? I yeah. mean, is there what? What's the? What is the? Uh, what makes Boris tick? I guess. Yeah. Well, part of why I do what I do, I, I think coming back uh, from my experience, uh, like we just talked about, um, from a former country that didn't have a lot of opportunities, given opportunity here, you know, is the classic: go to college, find something you want to do, and then I actually in. Uh, um, high school, I went on a couple of trips back to Russia with my church on a few missionary trips to Kamchatka, which is this eastern peninsula. And, and we did a lot of humanitarian aid stuff. And one of the things that really bugged me there was this lack of longevity. So you, you, you bring in some assistance and then you're out real fast. And it got me thinking, like, what needs to happen, not just there, but in general for long term flourishing of communities? That's what really got me started thinking the way I did. And so uh, coming back to Spokane, you know, after I went to college, I thought urban planning sounds really cool. I've really loved cities my whole life. You know, I liked the idea of just dropping in to a new city, not knowing anything and just like walking the street and, and just finding something to do. And and um, Main Street's always attracted me. Downtown's always attracted me. The hustle and bustle. I'm a people watcher. I love to just, you know, sit in airports. And so for me, it was like, what makes a place go like tick what makes a place awesome and what makes a place naturally want other people to come down and make it make it like a magnet and so i got into urban planning and really into economic development that's my passion how do you get a city to flourish how do you make a space where people want to be and so um that's what started my sort of uh, direction in the urban planning field uh specializing in economic development right out of college i started working for the city of spokane and we worked on neighborhood business district revitalization and so I worked uh, with three business association right out the shoe out of college, helping business leaders create what we call, you know, organizational capacity to organize, to improve their street, to program it, to bring events down, to make things exciting. Um, that sort of turned into writing some grants and getting dollars for streetscape reconstruction. Um, and then we just started working on how do you, you know, fill the vacancies? How do you get you know, businesses down here and shoppers down here and create kind of a collective sort of community space where people want to be. And so I served at the city for a long time in that role. Um, And it kind of naturally bled into, you know, at the same time I was uh, serving as a a youth pastor, leader, uh, bivocational at my Russian-speaking church. 
And do you speak Russian? I do speak okay. Russian. Full Russian. I, mean, I didn't know if you like you lose it. But, but yet, yeah, it means hi. Uh, you don't, <laughs> you know, we didn't lose it mostly because my parents were pretty good about uh, making sure Russian was spoken in the home, and we had a separate little Russian school that our church did for kids growing up. So I learned it uh, because I was embedded in the community that spoke it all the time. So yeah, that's what makes me. I, I like you asked the question what what makes me tick or what's what's my passion. I I just like flourishing communities. I like to go randomly at three o'clock and see a thriving business district and be able to walk without Google Maps and know that a a, a space is program where I don't need to just necessarily hop into a car to find something cool to do. Mm. Right. Um, that, is there a particular project you worked on that you're most proud of? Yeah, I think the project I'm most proud of is the uh, North Monroe, we call it corridor revitalization. And that was, uh, you know, in urban planning terms, we call it a road diet where we took a street and we went from, you know, five lanes to three. There's a lot of concern that we would uh, make traffic back up, but we brought all the stakeholders together and they were all different, you know, business owners or opposed to the views of some of the transit users or people that are just driving right through the district and didn't really care. Then you had a neighborhood right around that corridor and then you've had bike traffic and things like that. And we're able to bring all parties together and say, look, nobody's going to get what you want a hundred percent. But let's figure out what works. And it went from a project that almost died to a project that had, you know, um, a 65% support because of that hard work of bringing all these stakeholders together and figuring out, hey, what's the common good, to use a Together Washington phrase, for the community, not just for one specific user. And so we did that project successfully. I think it was over $8 million of reconstruction, uh, I think 12 to 16 blocks, and now it's a, a thriving community. Uh, a lot of vacancies that were there are no longer there. Businesses are filling it, and it's one of the coolest places to be down there in Spokane right now. Yeah, I love that. That's so, very cool. And yeah. I, I was with you in Spokane there, what, a month or two ago. And, man, I, Spokane is a very cool city. I mean, just it has this vibe of uh, it, it's it's a medium-sized. It it's got a little bit of a big big city feel, but yet very community oriented like i just i really like that seattle has become seattle used to be like that when i grew up here it kind of had that sense like you're always going to run into somebody you know but had the perks of a big city now seattle's you know we've just grown so much it's just hard to hard, hard to go back to that Boris, you're also the new COO of Together Washington. Tell us about that. Uh, why why Together Washington? What are you excited for? What what are some of the work that you're going to be doing? Yeah. Well, it, it's exciting because I, I ran into Together Washington, learned about the organization from uh, another leader in Spokane. And um, we've been involved with uh, a group called Call to the City, where we bring a bunch of leaders together in Spokane and talk about, as a faith community and other nonprofits, how can we serve the city and be more engaged. And through that work, I heard about Together Washington and the work you were doing, Tim, in Seattle with the with the Together Washington Summit back in 2020. And really what caught my attention was this idea of building that fabric, the connective tissue between organizations. Uh, as a city planner for a number of years and a community leader, I know that we as leaders get sucked into or looped into uh, the great you know, convening meetings, some issue pops up in the city, homelessness, poverty, zoning issues, and, and you kind of get all the major stakeholders together and, and you all sing Kumbaya and you, you know, do a SWOT analysis and you try to solve the problem. 
and that's great. Uh, and a lot of stuff can get done that way. But then you sort of go back into your own spheres, into your own silos. And what I really liked about Together Washington's approach is we can get to projects, but let's back it up a little bit and start with well, what is our relationship relationships look like between the stakeholders um, that connective tissue that fabric that used to be sort of a given in society uh, in America um, and let's rebuild some of that because before we can get together and solve an issue uh, let's say you and I disagree on something we have to trust each other that if we disagree on issue a we can still work in good faith and good uh, will towards each other because we might agree on on issue b but some of that's been eroding, especially given uh, in you know what we do right now and how we live in this social media um, vacuum or this bubble where you only hear your own perspectives, where the algorithm basically tells you, here's your opinion and here are all the voices that match your opinion and uh, any voices that don't match your opinion are your enemy. And uh, that that has been harmful. And I feel like together, Washington and, and you tell me you're the CEO if I'm on, on the mark here. But it's it's it seems like we we're trying to establish that relational fabric again, reestablish it to say, hey, remember, we, we can disagree on something and we can still be friends. We can still have trust. We can still work together and build bridges across divides. And I think that's the kind of work that really combined with my experience with faith community city planning and sort of civic engagement work uh it, it kind of wraps those three together in, in, in this really exciting work yeah you know it's one of those things when listening to you talk it just it's one of the reasons i l- like hearing your story your background your culture right i mean there's something beautiful about america right when we have you know you're from former soviet union right yeah. and li- in learning about you know your culture your background and you bring that here in America, right? And that's the, we, for whatever reason, it feels like we've gotten away from celebrating, you know, the, 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 the beauty of our uh, backgrounds and our diversity. And, and now we, we're, we get very legalistic about what uh, it looks like to uh, celebrate diversity, quote unquote, right? Mm-hmm. When really, my goodness, like if, if we truly, um, are people who want to appreciate and respect and have, you know, genuine empathy for all backgrounds, right? That means all backgrounds, mm-hmm. right? That means uh, people of faith, right? That means people uh, who are in uh, the nonprofit world, people who are in, you know, different worlds. And we, we've, we've come up in some ways with definitions about, well, I'll be, uh, maybe tolerant of, of the, this group, but not this group. And it's like, if we're going to b- move forward as a community, as a society, man, we've got to really figure out how to, you know, celebrate the fact that we come from different places. We have different stories. We have different backgrounds and there's a beauty in that. Yeah, absolutely. And also recognizing the fact that uh, the number of voices out there far surpassed the number of like quote unquote allowed perspectives that you know we're supposed to have, and I think that's one of the reasons why you see this proliferation of of uh, of social media and YouTube where people just want to get their voice out. And and uh, you know I I remember uh, in two thousand four uh, or somewhere around there that I voted for my first you know my first uh, voting. In a presidential election, and I remember just the ability to get information about candidates was pretty limited to you know four or five different sources, and 
and now you look at it, there's everybody has their own opinion, and and we we have to, and and there's hundreds of places you can go. Like you said at the beginning of the show, you get your news feed from Twitter, right? That's such a different age than when you got it from your four major news uh, corporations back in the day. And so we have to figure out a way, how do you still take into account these different perspectives and then pull out the strengths and, and move forward? And so I think that's part of the work that uh, Together Washington does. It allows people to speak their perspective, to bring that background that you said is beautiful into the conversation. And then the rest of us learn from that, but then two, figure out a way to, to take the strengths we heard and incorporate that into sort of the solution process that we've got. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I'm, I am excited about that process and, and being here. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, when I say I get my news from Twitter, <laughs> I don't mean I'm getting it literally sure. from Jack Dorsey from Twitter. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've got my Twitter feed set up that I follow a broad range of news yep. sources that are not in one camp or another, sure. but a uh, broad range of uh, places. So I, I'm not just in, you know, a, a group think mentality. Right? Sure. So that's uh, what I mean by that. In case someone's like, wait, what is, he what gets is his Tim news doing? from Jack Dorsey? Uh, <laughs> my main point there, and I, thanks for clarifying, is, you know, we have a lot more voices being heard these days. And, and yeah. we have to figure out a way to capture that and respect that and, and give people a place at the table. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Here, we're going to do a little rapid fire for you. All right. This is this is kind of a, a segment we call rapid fire. Nice. Let's go. <laughs> All right. You ready for this? I think so. Find out. Okay. Favorite movie? 007 GoldenEye. Okay. Favorite TV show? Breaking Bad. Favorite food? Borscht. What's that? It's this Russian soup. Ugh, it's hearty. It's like a beet soup with beef and cabbage, and it's it's great, especially right now when it's cold and rainy yeah. or wintry. Okay. Yeah. Favorite scripture? I love Isaiah, just the book in general, poetic, yeah. lots of themes. Okay. Favorite child? Child? Yeah. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> you, have, you have more than one child, yeah, right? Yeah, both uh, of them are my yeah, favorite. No, I'm, yeah, that was a... People ask, who's your favorite? Yeah, yeah. yeah no. Um, all right, favorite sports team? Well, Seattle Seahawks. Love the Seahawks. Okay. Favorite album? Music album? Hmm. You know, I don't really have one, um, but I have been listening to... Um, Gosh, it just slipped my mind. I don't really listen to a lot of music like you do, but I would if yeah. I had to pick one, um, Empire of the Sun. I've been listening to them a lot recently. Okay, it's really cool, groovy, great driving music. Got it. Yeah. Well, who's the best Russian music musician of all time, in your opinion? Tchaikovsky. Okay. You know, yeah. October. Oh, love that song. I pl grew up playing classical piano. So yeah, I love that guy. Yeah. That's very cool. Favorite ice cream? Uh, definitely vanilla with caramel and pecans. Uh, Tillamook. Nice. That blend is just amazing. I can eat it just by the bucket. <laughs> Favorite politician? Um, That's a good one. I've really liked, you know, growing up, I liked uh, George H.W. Bush and the Bill Clinton dynamic that mm -hmm. played out. Uh, I've kind of followed those two. Yeah. Are you a Putin fan? You like Putin? 
Um, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> do you think uh, someone? Do you think someone will track you, your maybe, answer? Most likely, they already are. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you just said that, and, and there's probably bots hacking your life right now, Tim. <laughs> uh, no, I mean Putin has a way to keep power, and I think uh, my honest opinion is a lot of people in Russia are, are getting sick of it. So, yeah, interesting. Yeah. Okay. All right. Favorite um, actor, actress. Well, that's a good one. Brad Pitt, um, actress. Um, yeah, Kate Winslet's really good. Yeah. Yep. All right. Favorite restaurant in Spokane? Ooh, uh, Durkin's Liquor Bar. They have the the best burger and the best bar yeah. in the basement. Um, ph- phenomenal place. Yeah. One place you want to visit that you've never been? Uh, you know, I want to go to India. India. Mm-hmm. Okay. Any particular reason? It's just so different from, you know, Eastern European, Western cultures. I want to experience something that's different. Yeah. All right. Well, you just survived rapid fire. So here's here's how we often like to end with this question, Boris. How do you want to be remembered? Wow, that's that's a rapid fire question. Um, I want to be remembered as, you know, good father, good husband, good community member. You know, I think we overdo it a little bit sometimes we we kind of look at all these crazy things i and I, I think a lot of the important stuff happens in the mundane parts of life and, and that's where we always like undervalue what we can accomplish um, but it is if you do the best in your mundane ordinary rhythms of life i think that translates to greatness in the in the future and uh, there's been too much uh, sort of celebrities overnight that become famous for for whatever and then phase out and i think sort of uh a long longevity, you know, in, in the words of Eugene Peterson, a, a slow uh, obedience or a long suffering, uh, slow, steady obedience towards one goal in life mm. is better than one particular big moment. Um, and I've really adopted that as a, as a way, um, a way of life. How can we just be consistent in the day to day small stuff that over time cumulatively taken uh, is a life worth living? Love that. Yeah. Excellent. Very cool. Well, I appreciate you joining the program today. 